Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Sasha Smulders. I'm Joe Fulgham. This is The Sandman, Issue 41, Brief Lives, Chapter 1. Cover date for this issue, September 1992. It was in stores July 21st of 1992. And this marks the beginning of the Brief Lives story arc. All of these are connected together in one continuous little story, about which we will discover as we read it. Dave McKean has some notes about the covers here. Mm-hmm. He uh, he had noted there was this homogeneity of comic book covers. They were all very big on like a, a big shot of your hero you know, your superhero in it, or a close-up of their face, something like that. They all kind of look the same. And it was always like really trying to sell the focal point of the comic, and he wanted to shy away from that. So these covers are all about little details. He also notes they had a fifth metallic ink to play with, and they finally got the effect he wanted as they printed it underneath the standard four-color process. I don't know how well that shows up in a lot of the digital versions we're reading, and I don't think... There's any metallic ink in the trade paperback that you have collected there. Mm, it doesn't I don't really think look so. like it. I have the originals for this one somewhere, but they're packed away in a box in a bag somewhere. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's neat. The cover has Blossoms for a Lady, mm-hmm. The View from the Backs of Mirrors, Not Her Sister, Rain in the Doorway, Journal of the Plague Year, the number you have dialed. And they're just uh, little snippets from the story itself. Yeah, they're all kind of the section titles Mm -hmm. here. I I can name them as we go through because you can separate each scene into one of these. There's basically a bunch of scenes and each of these describes a scene in the comic inside. Mm -hmm. So what about the stuff that we see in there? Yeah, um, there's the portrait of the woman. I'm assuming that's uh, Lady Constantine. I guess so, yeah. There's the stone statue and half of it's a butterfly, and that could be delirium. Mm-hmm. There is the hand with the tipped, like the spiky tipped fingers, and that could be despair, maybe? Yeah, maybe. What else have we got in here? Well, there's the journal. Could be destruction. He's There is the journal, Journal of the Plague Year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's get inside and take a look at it. Began in an island in the Mediterranean. The island of Naxos. We saw this at the end of the Sandman special number one, Mm -hmm. when Dream dropped off Orpheus's head. As mentioned there, it's one of the Cyclades, which is a chain that's in between Greece and Turkey. You can actually go take a look at it on Google Maps. It doesn't quite have the striking cliffs that this does. I tried to find a great little bay that would fit for this, where it would have a house on one side and maybe some old temple on the other that maybe Neil had seen in his travels and said, I'm going to use that. There's certainly a bunch of little temples scattered around. They mention that. And mm-hmm. you can certainly see them just all over the place there. It's really cool looking. But this one, as far as we know, is fiction. As far as we know, yeah. Naxos is a real island, but it has a city and and you can basically drive around it. There is now a road going around the entire outside. So I don't think there's anywhere that would be very difficult to reach like this place is there. Mm. Andros is an old man and he's climbing up a cliff face. Mm -hmm. There's a path and it's well-worn. Eroded by his boots and by the boots of his ancestors, showing you that this has been going on for a long time. This continues the story at the end 
of the Sandman special that they've been doing what Dream asked them to do, these priests, mm-hmm. intending in to Orpheus. And uh, as he gets to the top, he grabs a blossom and he puts it on the gravestone of Lady Joanna Constantine. Mm-hmm. And her grave says, uh, born 1760, died 1859, Mm -hmm. be to her virtues very kind, be to her faults a little blind. That is taken from a poem by Matthew Pryor called The English Padlock. Oh. And it ends, let all her ways be unconfined and clap your padlock on her mind. Hmm. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I don't know a lot about it, but I'll uh, put it up in case anybody wants to read it. Every day he places a blossom as did his father and his grandfather. Every spring day for over 60 years, he has picked a blossom from the cherry tree. Every spring day has placed it on the lady's grave, as his father and grandfather did before him. So again, tradition. Mm-hmm. And we meet another person on the island. His name is Chris. And we find out how this tradition continues. He yes. was driven by dark dreams. Mm-hmm. So dream kind of makes sure that people show up here. So that this can continue. And I'm guessing they'd sent, he sent Andros a dream to know that he was coming. Yeah, because apparently Andros, unlike his grandfather and father, didn't have children. Well, actually, he calls him Papa. So maybe even Andros was adopted, too. Maybe they were all adopted, actually. Oh, I feel like Chris probably married Andros's daughter. Oh, perhaps. That makes sense. I think Andros, did we ha- do we have mentioned that he didn't have children? No, it never says he didn't have children. No, I think that, uh, I think Chris just married into the family. Okay. That this is kind of how this has gone. Mm. Andros takes this guard duty very seriously. Notes that Chris has a son that he saw when he was coming up the path and he shouldn't have been able to see him. Mm-hmm. Reminds him that 200 years ago, it was 30 years before he was returned to us. 30 years. And that's talking about when Lady Joanna Constantine brought him back in Thermidor. Mm-hmm. So he'd been stolen. He'd, be, he'd been with the French for 30 years yeah. or something. Maybe he'd been passed around a little I, bit. Yeah, I think passed around probably. Mm. And over on the next page, we meet who he's guarding. He's just ahead. Yeah. And notice what's right next to him. A vase with a brave Greek hero in a chariot, leading other people with a full body. Yeah. And here we have the reality of what he is now, just ahead. Mm-hmm. And they're both probably about the same age, the vase and him. It's an ancient, ancient vase. The uh, earlobe is back, as is the ring that was attached to it. He got that cut off in Thermidor. He mm-hmm. noted it would come back. And it did. Mm-hmm. And now, at first, Orpheus does remember Andros's name. Mm-hmm. And he asks him about putting the flower on the grave, despite the fact that Andros has done it for 60 years now. And his grandfather and father did it before him. Yeah. Does that mean that Orpheus asks every day? Well, what else does he have to ask about, I guess? Mm. They don't have Netflix on there? Why don't they have Netflix? <laughs> a, well, this is the 80s, but yeah, good point. He just needed to wait around a little longer. Would have been fun. Well, hopefully now he has Netflix. Yeah, we're going to have to have a brand new Sandman to see how he's doing In on the island. 2017, VR. He'll have like a mouse he can move with his eyes and click on things and browse the World Wide Web. It'll be great. Oh, yeah, yeah. That uh, technology now so that you can use um, your eyes to use the internet is like, it's way better now. Mm-hmm. And he can still talk. Yeah. So he can do voice to text. 
Oh, yeah. He could also do YouTube channels of him singing. It'd be great. Yeah. Like, but he's not like, it's not exactly the same as like having locked in syndrome because he can still talk. Mm -hmm. So he could do tons of stuff. Yeah. And mostly what he can do now is bug Andros to do the thing he's been doing every day of his life and sing. And to put him in the window so he can watch the sunrise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he's still great at singing and Andros appreciates it. Mm-hmm. It makes him feel young. It takes away the ache in his joints. Mm-hmm. He doesn't feel cold anymore. Mm-hmm. From the east window, one can look across the bay. There is a house on the hill across the bay, and occasionally Andros, whose eyes have lost none of their keenness in their 70 years on this earth, spies tiny figures there, tourists perhaps, or visitors to the island. He wonders what they see from their villa. A little temple on a cliff, that's all, nothing special. The islands are littered with them, old shrines to gods long dead. And if you look through the Google Maps in Google Earth mode, you'll see these little temples around. Although I think these days most of them are Christian rather than to old gods. They, mm-hmm. uh, they An awful lot of them have crosses on the top now. Mm. Well, I mean, that's one thing that Christianity was very good at. It was just sticking a cross on top of a pagan religion and <laughs> saying it was theirs. Fair. <laughs> It's pretty interesting. It's a it's a neat island. It's fairly large, actually. I got the feeling when I first read this that Naxos was like this little, almost semi-private island that you couldn't get to, and maybe there's a villa on one spot of it or something like that. But it's actually quite large. has a, a city and a few towns and things on it. Oh, yeah. Well, it has a large town and a few small villages. I guess is the better way to say that. We find out that they have uh, plans in place in case. They are assaulted, mm-hmm. including uh, if whether or not a helicopter attacks them. Right, yeah. 30 years, it shall not happen again. <laughs> yeah, well, when this is, this is your job, this is your life's work, is to protect this head of basically a dead god mm-hmm. who reminds you that he is the god of music, basically. He's kind of the demigod of music by singing every day for you and proving it like that is a that is a great reason to throw yourself into absolute perfection and readiness for everything when that's your job i can i can get behind that mm-hmm. yeah and uh orpheus makes a mistake he calls andros crestos mm-hmm. yes did i say Cre- i'm sorry i was thinking of your father no thanks andros you are thinking of my grandfather mm-hmm. uh and we learned Andros's last name, Rhodokanakis. Fritillaria Rhodokanakis is a Greek species of plant in the lily family. Hmm. In its pure form, it's found only on Hydra Island and on small neighboring islands. Well, and now I want to look at the flowers in the vase next to him. I think those are lilies in the vase and, and a chrysanthemum. Hmm. I think lilies and chrysanthemums in the vase next to him. Rhodokanakis is also, of course, a... Greek family name. Mm. And the complete opposite of an island paradise in the Mediterranean, we see a rainy street in England. Yeah, so we had Blossom for a Lady. That was the first part of this. Mm. And now we have Rain in the Doorway. Rain in the Doorway is a book by Thorne Smith, which is described as 
a really funny, in more than one sense, fantasy novel from 1933. It begins with a man standing in the doorway of a department store to escape a torrential downpour, rain dripping down his nose, he feels depressed and dissatisfied, and the doorway behind him opens, a hand reaches out to grab him, and he's drawn through into another universe. It seems much like ours, except that people take things much less seriously. As with all Thorne Smith books, he's best known for Topper, there's much drunkenness and nudity and silly dialogue. Hmm. That's how the Sandman Annotations notes the book is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this particular chapter does have nudity. Yes, it does. Yeah. And uh, Delirium appears drunk quite often. She seems drunk mm-hmm. or something for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but we start off in the road with... Uh, I'm guessing a homeless woman begging for spare change, but that's a word with a couple of meanings, change. Mm-hmm. And we find out Delirium is with her. Yep, hiding in this uh, little alcove mm-hmm. together. There now, love, that was one of their nice ones. 30p and a bit of natter, and I don't know. Sometimes I think a kind word's better than a rhino. Than the rhino? <laughs> the money. Oh. So the term rhino for money... The source of that is not actually very well known. There's a few theories. It might have to do with having to pay through the nose mm-hmm. for something and rhinos having the, the giant horn in their nose. Not sure, but that's what it means, money. Hmm. Delirium uh, remembers being wet before. <laughs> Only it wasn't rain. It was the gunky stuff inside people's eyes. Hmm. I wish I could remember what it's called. Hmm. And this old lady that she's sharing the uh, alcove with, Mm -hmm. she had a son named Stephen, but he died in an industrial accident. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Delirium notes she lost her brother. But he's not dead. Just (laughs) lost. (laughs) I just lost him, okay? Yeah, pardon me for breathing. Spare a little change, love. Thanks. Change, that was always kind of the problem, kind of. Um, some days I feel like Rita Marlowe in The Wayward Bus. You ever see that movie? The Wayward Bus is a 1957 movie directed by Victor Vickas, starring Joan Collins and Jane Mansfield. Uh, it's a generally dreary adaptation of John Steinbeck's novel about passengers on a bus. There's no Rita Marlowe uh, in the novel uh, and no actress of the name in any major role in the film, but it's kind of possible that Delirium is confused here. Hmm. She might be thinking of Marilyn Monroe in Bus Stop. Oh. And she's just being very, very confused. <laughs> just like Delirium is. <laughs> change, 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 change. Hmm. When you say words a lot, they don't mean anything. Or maybe they don't mean anything anyway. And we just think they do. And she needs a change. And so she changes scenes. Mm-hmm. She goes to a club. And at first, the bouncer doesn't want to let her in. But she convinces him that actually he does. Yeah, she uses the delirium mind trick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is now the not-her-sister section. Yes. It's a warehouse bash, another name for a rave. It's an all-night party, generally attended by young people. This one seems to be uh, a fetish-themed one. Got a lot of people in pretty fetishy gear here. Mm-hmm. And there is a dress code, so... Yeah. We need to assume that that is specific to that. Mm-hmm. 
she mentions aqueous something or vitreous mm-hmm. when she's walking to the door. I, it's the name of what I can't remember in people's eyes. She's actually right. Aqueous humor uh, is from Latin. It means watery fluid, and that's the watery transparent material between the cornea and your lens. Mm-hmm. So basically at the front of your eye, you've got the cornea and then the iris that opens up and the lens and behind it. Mm-hmm. And in between all of that is aqueous humor. When you think of the eyeball as the big ball, the big ball part behind all of that is full of the vitreous humor, which is from the Latin meaning glassy fluid, and it's more gelatinous. Mm. Mm-hmm. I have definitely dissected a goat's eyeball. Yeah, I remember doing that in school as well. And squirted the vitreous humor everywhere. Uh, probably squirted the, yes, yeah, squirted the vitreous humor. You're absolutely right. Sorry. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember. Got in my, <laughs> it was not on purpose. But it totally got on my lab partner's face. Oh, great. Yeah. And she did not want to be doing that dissection at all. No doubt. The lyrics that are going on here is from Tori Amos's Tear in Your Hand, which we've played before. The next line after the one mentioned here is the previously mentioned, if you need me, me and Neil will be hanging out with the Dream King. Neil says hi, by the way. <laughs> so now we've got this whole... This whole musicception going on. Mm-hmm. Of she gave him this and wrote about it, and then he went and put it into the comic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the patrons is making a reference to Freddie Mercury, which is this is like would have been right, but right after he died, right? Yeah, Freddie Mercury died in November of 1991. Mm-hmm. So the year before this comic came out, for sure. When I told him the news about Freddie, he said, oh, another one bites the dust. I said, darling, when God put teeth in your mouth, he ruined a perfectly good asshole. Arsehole. Mm, arsehole. <laughs> that's, that's the English version Yeah, it of sounds asshole. weird to say arsehole with a Canadian accent, so uh, I updated it. <laughs> I never heard arsehole growing up, but I heard arse a lot. Move your arse, I would hear. Mm, it's because your family are newfies. Half of them. Was it the Newfie half that would say that? (laughs) No, actually. (laughs) No, my dad would say move your arse. Oh, okay. Delirium is moving through the crowd, thinking about how, you know, she wishes her brother hadn't left. And then she sees someone across the room. Just as the moment when she thinks she wants her family back, she sees someone who looks a lot like her big sister. But it's not her sister. No, it's Lisa. (laughs) Who has definitely got the death aesthetic going. Yeah. Yeah. Although death doesn't smoke cigarettes, it seems. Mm. Too wise for that. Yeah. Even kill you. Even endless. Yeah. Uh, now, are these lyrics they just the same continuation of that song? Yeah. Cutting my hands up every time I touch you is also from Tear in Your Hand. Delirium yells as she hits the wall. I want my sister. <laughs> and a nice patron wants to check in on her. Yeah. See if uh, see if she's doing okay. If she needs a doctor, and uh, and this this person's friend says that she probably eed out of her little bonts, so that would be ecstasy. Yeah, e is slang for ecstasy. Over here in North America, it tends to be called X instead mm-hmm. of e. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Desire shows up in my favorite desire outfit of all time. Yeah, you like this one? Yes. All right, we're gonna have to get you an all white tuxedo. <laughs> I would stain it I so fast. It would need to be made of vinyl. It would need to be an all-white vinyl tuxedo. <laughs> just, just spray clean. Psh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we can do that. It looks kind of shiny, actually, now that I look at it. I would wreck that so fast. It's kind of got shiny lines on it. <laughs> That's how I feel looking at it. Well, sometimes I'm her sister. Hmm. <laughs> 
And desire is really horrible to this person who comes up to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just want to chat with them. Mm-hmm. Do we want to read what Desire says? You were just complaining about people coming up to you in clubs and not knowing what to do. And I think this exactly is what you could do. I could literally just be like, go hook up with that person. No. See that young lady in red over there? Go and talk to her. Have a passionate weekend during which both of you make love until you're sore and bleeding. Then without knowing why, refuse to see her again. She'll phone you up and hang around your house. And when you ask her to leave you alone, she'll just cry and not say anything. Look at you with hurt eyes and follow you around. Eventually, this will make you so angry, you'll find yourself needing desperately to make her say something, to make her react, to hurt her, to get her eyes out of your mind. After that, it will just be a matter of time. A matter of time until what? (laughs) Yeah. Murder. Yeah. There is a definite eye motif going on throughout this issue. Mm -hmm. Like we're mentioning, get her eyes out of your mind. We were talking about aqueous and vitreous humor. Yeah, lots of eye stuff. Mm-hmm. And desire takes delirium to the threshold. Yeah, to her pad yeah. or to their pad. Yeah. And is immediately changed into a floral outfit. Mm-hmm. Kind of a 1920s style dress. Yeah, kind of flapper style, yeah. Yeah, same with the headband. Mm-hmm. I think that's to counterbalance the more male-looking outfit they were wearing earlier. Mm-hmm. Flipping back and forth. And Delirium's not doing well. Yeah, she melts down so hard about not being able to hold herself together. She explodes into butterflies. Yep. And flies herself into Desire's gallery. Mm-hmm. And we see the empty frame for the missing brother. Mm-hmm. I'm together, aren't I? I know I used to be. I don't know. <laughs> yes. You used to be. So when she was back when she was Delight? I guess so, yeah. Mm. I was going to say, even further down this page, Desire specifically calls Delirium Del. Yeah. Which is short for Delight and Delirium. Right. Yes, it is. Good Mm. catch. She wants him back. The missing destruction is making it so Delirium can't hold together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she starts laughing. What's so funny? Well, you telling me not to want something. I mean, that's all you are wanting. I mean, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Isn't it funny? Well, isn't it? And she asks to use the gallery and gives despair a call. Yeah, man, I don't know if I would ever be at the point where I want to call up despair. <laughs> well, delirium is not so good at thinking right now. It's kind of desperate. Mm-hmm. Making her way through the family, it seems. She didn't get to death. She got to somebody who looked like death. She got to Desire, who is uh, not exactly the says, most helpful person. No, no, don't go to him. That's what Desire said. Mm-hmm. No. So we just finished Want, Not Want, which is Desire, mm-hmm. right? You. It's funny, you telling me to not want something. And now we move on to the view from the back of mirrors. Delirium has, from time to time, visited Despair's gray realm. It is the antithesis of her own churning domain. Formless and silent and still, apathy hangs like damp mist in the chill air. No winds blow, no bird sings, nothing moves. She feels the cold touching her, sobering her. Cool tendrils move inside her, questing, whispering. 
Delirium sees the gray place that waits on the other side of every mirror, and she shivers. Now, despair? That's someone who just has really terrible Netflix all the time. Yeah, looking in on the worst stories. Mm Mm-hmm. She's looking in on a child molester. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Whose life is about to end, and he can't decide whether or not he's going to take his own life. And despair says that he doesn't have the courage to do it, which I guess means he just continues deeper into despair. Mm. Isn't it beautiful? It's okay, I suppose, if you're into that kind of thing. Listen, I am sort of have to talk to you. They get on the subject of pets because <laughs> yeah. delirium is easily distracted. Yeah, yeah because when, when despair says so talk, she reaches down and grabs a rat, which I guess completely derails what delirium's talking about. Mm-hmm. I always thought that maybe I ought to have a pet. I mean, you've got your rats, and your sister's got her goldfish, and I mean, even Stuffy Dream's got that big black bird. So death, death is on with the goldfish. Yeah, we've seen the goldfish. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, they actually have names. We haven't been revealed them yet. I hope it's Stephen and Stephen. <laughs> it's not. It's Slim and Wadsworth. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, no. I don't even think it's revealed in a Sandman comic. Mm. It's also not important. And Destiny's got the little flappy things. I don't know. What do you think? Does Destiny have bats? Or are they birds? I don't remember now. There are things fluttering around his around his garden. Oh, okay. So again, I think maybe somebody should do something, that's all. <laughs> About what? Didn't I say, oh, I thought maybe it did. Look, Despair, do you remember? Um, I mean, do you, you remember the name of the gunky jelly stuff in people's eyes? Vitreous humor. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Thanks, Well, Hang in there. I mean, I'll see you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Delirium, is that all you wanted to know? The name of the jelly in people's eyes? Not really. There's something else. You promise you won't be mad if I tell you? I don't get mad. Okay, then you have to promise if I say something you don't like, you won't do that voice that sounds like people with wet and bubbly stuff in their lungs buried under the ground being crushed to death by giant worms talking. Mm, I promise. Our brother. I think we should get in touch with him. Why? He might be hurt. He might need us. So? I miss him. So? Will you help me find him? Do you honestly think he wants to be found? I don't know, but I want to find him. I just thought you could maybe help me. I love how she's like grabs her lip partway through it's it's specifically at when delirium says i miss him Mm -hmm. and that's when she grabs her lip with the hook because we know that whenever delirium feels something not delirium we know that whenever despair feels something she uses pain yeah to not feel it yeah yeah (sighs) and despair says no and delirium's gonna ask the rest of the family yeah. For help. Yeah. Well, thank you for not doing the voice anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the voice that sounds like people with wet and bubbly stuff in their lungs buried under the ground being crushed to death by giant worms. Oh, that voice. Yeah, that voice. <sighs> and delirium leaves, but we stay with despair. 
Yeah, despair has some thinking to do. Mm-hmm. Three blind hummingbirds hang in the air like jewels of iridescent scarlet and cobalt. So blind, again, the eye thing. Vitreous humor, the eyes, blind hummingbirds. Mm. Silent rats run unmindfully over her feet, invisible in the mist. She misses him. It is over 300 years since last she and her brother were alone together. And then the memories come back. And she uses her ring to try to not remember and we get the proper aqueous and vitreous humor description. Yeah, she she just rips her eye up. Yeah. She just, yeah, she messes it right up. More eye stuff. And she's, uh, she's taken into her memory. Yeah. And here we are at Journal of the Plague Year. Mm. The city folk had killed the cats and the dogs because they might have helped spread the disease. And if they could, they would have killed each other. Mm-hmm. This is uh, 1665. It was one of the last big outbreaks, not the biggest, but one of the last big outbreaks in London of the plague. And it was written about by Daniel Defoe, who's better known for Robinson Crusoe. Mm-hmm. It's a novel called A Journal of the Plague Year, mm. but it was so well researched that many people think it's actually more accurate than a lot of the actual write-ups of the time. Okay. Uh, Daniel Defoe was a small child. He was about four years old during the the plague year in London and lived through it. And they think that basically his father kept a lot of good journals. And then he took those and did a lot of research. And he really tried to get across the feeling of what was going on during those times. What was the actual, do we know kind of what the death toll was actually like in that year or in that, yeah. during that plague time? Like how much, what percentage of the population actually died? It killed about 100,000 people. That's about a quarter of London's population. Oh my in a, gosh. In about 18 months. In a uh, year and a half, mm-hmm. in a year and a half, a quarter of the population of a city, one yep. of the lar- like the largest city on earth at that point, right? London was one of the biggest cities. Uh, it's certainly a big city, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. <sighs> <sighs> There's a bunch of really horrifying scenes, uh, a baby drinking at the breast of its, uh, of its dead mother. Mm-hmm. A young man who falls asleep, drunk, in the street next to a de- uh, the corpse of a of a dead woman, and uh, he's going to because he's so drunk, he's going to get picked up as a dead body, and he yeah. won't wake up until he's in the pit with all the other corpses. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And over the next page, we actually have something out of a journal of the plague year by Defoe. Let me observe here, said Defoe, writing somewhat after the event, that when I say the people abandon themselves to despair, I do not mean to religious despair or despair of their eternal state, but I mean a despair of their being able to escape the infection or to outlive the plague. The people were brought into a condition to despair of life. When despair read that through a mirror, she nodded with the satisfaction of one who had performed her duty with diligence and care. Yeah, she really made those people despair. Yeah, good job. And uh, and this is one of those situations where her brother uh, would also have been very much involved. Yeah, destruction at the same time. Mm-hmm. The wheel never ceases from turning. Now, you note we don't see his eyes very well here, even when the hat is off. His, mm-hmm. ha- his hat shades his eyes, and even the one where he looks up, it's very squinty and his eyes are very dark. Mm-hmm. 
I never complain. <laughs> the note on the previous page, Lord have mercy upon us. Mm. And the the S in us looks kind of like a fancy F. Okay. That's called the long S. And it was used for a while. But the the interesting thing here is up and except for very, very early on when it was used as a lowercase s, it was never used at the end of a word. So you would use it for an s inside a word unless it was the second s in a row. So your first s would be this long s for mm-hmm. lowercase s. And then if like if it was a word with two in a row, the next one would be the small the lowercase s we would see. And the S at the end of a word was always the lowercase S that we're used to. Okay. So here it's actually used incorrectly, Hmm. which might be because everybody's just in a rush and doesn't know that. Huh. Yeah, someone who's not particularly literate could have written that. Mm -hmm. Very, very early on, like I think ninth century in its use, it had been used in a lot of places, including the end of words, but uh, certainly not by 1665. Whoa, but Joe, you can never change the English language. It has to stay the same. Grammar is one way and one way. I just calls always. It, I just calls it like I sees it. So if you're saying we're wrong, then we're going to have to start using that that long s in all of our writing and spelling. You're right. I guess we better bring it back. Okay, let's do it. Every single Thou shalt font bring maker, it back. Every single font maker better start coding in that other long s, <laughs> so our computers can start doing this proper. I love her little speech here about about the changelessness of the world. Because uh, Destruction says, things are changing, my sister. And she says, things never change. Oh, but they do. That's my province, after all. Some things are changeless. People love and die. They dream, destroy, despair. They go mad. They fulfill their destinies, live out the course of their lives. We fulfill our function as they fulfill theirs. And so she name drops all her siblings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They love, which is like desire. desire. Uh, they die, which is, you know, death. Yeah. We've got dream. We've got destruction. We've got despair. And go mad delirium. is delirium. Yeah. And destiny, mm-hmm. of course. Can't forget destiny. That will not change. But destruction's not so sure. You think not? Ah, uh, I will. Perhaps you are right after all. We will see. <laughs> and then he kisses her. No one ever kissed despair, save her brother. But when she next saw him, it was in Destiny's Hall, 30 years on, for the last time. And now we pull back to her looking in a mirror, and we can see that kiss in the mirrors behind her. I didn't even notice that! As her eye cries the vitreous humor. Yucky. And desire calls... Despair, sweet twin, I desire call you. I stand in my gallery and I hold your sigil. Will you talk to me? The number you have dialed, and that's our final mini chapter, Mm. which is what you hear when somebody's not answering a call. Yeah, she does not answer. She doesn't. Please, sister, talk to me. We have to stop her. And there we go. Brief Lives, chapter one. So what have we got in this? What's going on here? Basically, the throughput here, even though we're seeing a bunch of side stories, is Delirium misses destruction and wants him back and wants somebody to help her. Yes. Also, I'm pretty sure we're going to get back to Orpheus. Specifically, this is two different, 
like the beginning and the end of this issue stressed very much 30 years, that it was 30 years that Orpheus was gone and that it was 30 years between the plague when when despair saw destruction and then between oh. when they met in the room and and it was the last time. Destruction's departure would have been 30 years after 1665, which would be about 1695. That's actually about 100 years before they recovered Orpheus. So he left before Orpheus was gone. He left about 70 years before Orpheus was gone for 30 years. So I don't know how much the 30 years ties together. Okay. Because I don't think they line up. It is an interesting catch. I had not noticed that before. And maybe we will see a 30 years thing, but I think it's just a coincidence. Hmm. But we might see more of Orpheus. Mm-hmm. So what else do you think we're going to get? Where do you think we're going to go from here? I think Delirium is going to go to Dream. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. So she's going to go to Dream and she's going to say, we need to go find destruction. Yeah. And what's Dream going to say? Well, he knew a cat who knew where he was. The cats knew where he was. Bast has claimed to know where he is, yeah. Yeah. She said, although we saw her admit, she doesn't really. Just that the cats She said a, a cat it. knew where he was. Yeah. That's what she admitted later on. Not to Dream, though. Mm. I think Dream is going to help Delirium. Okay. And I think we're going to find a little bit more about why Delirium is Delirium and not Delight. Mm, okay. Which I think is specifically about when destruction left. I think they're related. She'd been delirium even back when Orpheus got married, which is way back in Greek time. So oh, yeah. long, long before destruction left. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, never mind then. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess we're going to find out what happens next episode. You've been Dreaming of the Sandman, Issue 41, Brief Lives, Chapter 1. For show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming, and we'd sure appreciate it if you tell your friends about us. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and tsleil Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. <laughs>